This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry and the streak hits seven games. Welcome, friends, family, Ducks fans. To uh, the Fever Mighty Post game shows, the Ducks fall six to two to the Philadelphia Flyers today. What an absolute mess! I feel like I've said that before, Eddie. It might as well be twenty-one. Like let's let's be honest, it might as well be <laughs> twenty-one games. Oh man, I uh, I I knew it was going to happen. Um, this team you have has a feeling going into games now that they're just going to uh, screw it up in the first period and it's going to be over. It's like prove us wrong. Prove us wrong, please like come out the gate with some with uh, you know, some speed, some aggressiveness, defend in front of your own net for once, do something and they're just like not responding to anything. It's Yeah. It's been one of the more brutal stretches of the Ducks fan I've seen in recent times, man. It's been bad. It's yeah, it's up there with some of the worst for me it's it's the worst because i don't have a, a great memory of, of back in the day when they were really bad when they first came into the league but yeah this this is this is up there this is up there being the worst the fact that they have not played well and have only won two games in what is it 54 days now that they they haven't won uh or that they've only won two games and now it's seven in a row and this is either the second or i know it's at least the second possibly the third time they've had a losing streak of seven games this season obviously the big one was 12 uh, it, it's unreal. It's unreal that it's this team too. Day drinking, uh, brought to you by your Anaheim Ducks games. Um, <laughs> had to had to pull out a beer today because I'm like, ah, I just I'm not getting any. I'm not even getting mad anymore watching these it's games. Just it's, funny. it's it's just more like, are you? This is ridiculous. Like, how does this fall apart this bad? The same personnel as we said last show is on the ice. The same personnel, for the most part, is on the ice from last year. And all of a sudden, everything's bad. Is it systems? I, I, I don't get it. It's, the- it's too many things in one to just say it's one thing. Like, obviously, it's coaching. And obviously, it's the change in the system as well. But there are a lot of players who are just having bad years to go along with it. And then the injuries play a role in that as well. So it, it's just, it's a bunch of things rolled into one. And oh, to just do they though? Off. Do the injuries really play a role in this right now? You can't say they don't. 
the fact I mean, that you look at their leading the league, like anytime you lead the league in man games loss, it's going to hurt your team. I'm not saying they'd be good if they didn't, they weren't injured at all, but I don't think they'd be as bad. And yeah, everybody's healthy now except Cash and Miller, so I get that. And obviously, John Gibson is now out with an injury. But early on in the season, having a, a lot of those guys out of the lineup and then them having to come back in, it's tough. It's tough to overcome that. But I'm not saying they would be good with it with all those guys healthy. It just it plays a role in why they're so bad as well. I guess, I guess I, I I'm okay with that assumption or that assessment rather. Let's let's get to this. Let's get to some pregame notes. No John Gibson, as you said, injured now. Uh, thanks to Jacob Megna for the flying knee, hip, thigh, whatever you want to call it in the last game on a really bad back check. Um, the worst thing is it's an upper body injury. So obviously it, it looked like that, but that's probably concussion. Can we just say what it is? Points. It's a concussion. That's yeah. got to be it. There's, he played the rest of the period and then sat out the third for Chad. Um I hate to speculate on concussion. Like uh, somebody at the rink today, when I was at my uh, my daughter's hockey practice, asked, "Well, how long do you think he's going to be out?" And I'm all, as far as I know, it's his first one, and every person's different. It could be long term because that's just that's just how some people react to those. Let's hope not. It could be really quick. I mean, we've seen guys come back fairly uh, fairly quickly, but there's really no need. There's really no need to rush John Gibson back. So Chad Johnson gets to start net. Carter Hart, who is just insanely good for Philly right now and is on a roll. Won his eighth straight game today. Um, I the think it was like cast really loved him too. It good, was I mean, it's the most it positive the thing Carter to talk Hart about show for Allers and Haywood. <laughs> well, yeah, for for good reason. I mean, now he's what the youngest or the he's tied the the record for a goalie under twenty one for since Jocelyn Tebow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and Jerry Price and other guys. Been a minute, so. That happened. Ease is now on IR again for some reason, so he was out tonight. Uh, or today. Cracknell, Gibson, and Walensky all scratched. The Flyers are red hot going 0-8-1 in their last nine games. Then you take a look at the lineup. It's your typical. It's your run-of-the-mill lines that we've talked about forever. You got Raquel, Getzloff, Perry, Shore, Kessler, Silverberg, Richie, Henrique, Sprung. The only good Ducks line, in my opinion. Gibbons, Rowney, and Cracknell. And then you just have a dumpster fire on defense. Fowler, Manson, Linho, Montour, Delzato, Megna, and that's that's how the game would start here, and it wouldn't take long um, for the Flyers to get on the board. Just a terrible first period for the Ducks. They get hemmed in their own zone a bunch, and then there's a break. Silverwood goes on a breakaway, but then uh, he kind of just lifts the puck into uh, Carter Hart's glove. Really, really nothing too fancy there. But that was like, honestly, would you say that was pretty much the only solid? No, there was another chance by Richie, but they only had like a couple chances in the first period. Yeah, they they didn't really have too many. Carter Hart did make some good saves, but they weren't like 10 bell saves. He was just good positionally, and, and the Ducks had some chances. Obviously, the Silverberg breakaway, I think, was the big one. And Nick Richie had a couple chances uh, later in the first as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a pretty good effort uh, for the Flyers and for, for Carter Hart in the first. And on that first goal, I mean, that was just, again, a, a guy... We talked about Brennan Gallagher and some of the bigger-name guys being left open. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, there we go. It doesn't matter if it's... And, and and I said, like, you shouldn't leave anybody open, especially the big guys. Well, this is the... You shouldn't leave anybody open. Like, Phil Verone got his third goal of the season. He's still not a guy you should give that much space to, again, in right in the slot. And uh, it's, it's an easy shot. There's three ducks who are facing the wrong direction, turn around to see him 
basically wire it past uh, Chad Johnson. It's just unreal. Where was the, Ryan Kessler on this play? I would love to know too because he wasn't obviously paying attention to the like, play. Like, what are you doing? Like, I, I understand Fowler goes behind to pressure the guy with the puck. Manson has his back to the slot for whatever reason. Don't know why he has his back to the slot because he probably shouldn't because the guy's going behind the net. You have to have your head as a, on a swivel as a defenseman. I don't understand what Manson's doing there. And then furthermore, everyone's just allowed to take the free real estate that's sitting in the middle of the ice. And that's exactly what Phil Veroni does, like you said. And Kessler's nowhere to be found, and all of a sudden it's one nothing. I, it, it kills me to, <laughs> to watch yeah. hockey, man. It kills me. Kills they've, me. They've given up in the sense that the, the thing, there's just no morale there whatsoever, and it's, there's just no drive for them to really want to try. I'm not saying they aren't competing because we talked about that in the last show, and I, like I'm sure they want to go out there and they want to win, but it's just like you're so demoralized at this point. It's like you're just making small mistakes or little mistakes that are resulting in goals, like leaving guys wide open or just missing coverages that you would, if you're on your game, normally you'd be in that position, and when you're demoralized when you're playing lazy when you're just kind of fed up with the way things are going you puck watch and mm-hmm. you kind of just coast along with the game and that's been the ducks over well over the entire season but especially over the last 21 games it's it's been bad and looking at the at the the advanced stats from natural stature the ducks actually out high danger chance the flyers six to three but somehow the ducks were down four nothing after the first yeah, it, it, it's just again, it's it's missed miss coverage, missed assignments, bad plays defensively. Like one of them again, the first goal you're missing a coverage. Yeah, and the shorthanded goal that is a bad play all around by uh, Cam Fowler, where he he kind of runs into Raquel getting into the zone on the power play, and then he just he doesn't dump it in. He just decides to turn around and like slap backhand it weakly to a guy, and then that sets it up so that Raffle basically gets a, not really a breakaway. Cam Fowler gets back and then just decides to block the pass on a 2-1 and don't even pressure Raffle. And it's a, it's an easy shot. I mean, it's just little plays like that. And, you know, the second goal, sure, it's it's one, like, you can't really blame anybody on. Yeah. Uh, it's great effort by Couturier. But, like, those two goals for sure, like, what what are you doing on those plays? Like, those are preventable goals. The only goal that I will say probably should not have gone in in any way shape or form uh or the only goal yeah the only goal that i think should have gone in without any sort of issue back i said that wrong completely but the couturier goal that's a puck bounce play off the skate all in one motion shot off the far post you could you could take that i'll take those all day like that's fine those don't happen very often it's the plays like we just described here with with raffle why are you so lazy shorthanded when the other team's shorthanded, why are you so lazy with your passing, with your with your zone entries, uh, running into your own teammates? It's it's unacceptable. It's a prototypical Ducks power play. I mean, they they have the the uh, access to get a clean entry there. Cam Fowler has no Flyers players around him, and he should just be able to skate the puck in the zone. And he goes right into Ricard Raquel. Ricard Raquel's just standing at the <laughs> blue line. It's not like he moved line. into the way. Fowler just skates right into him. Oh yeah, and then. The biggest thing for me is the the play he makes after that. He like loses his bounce a bit running into uh, to Raquel, and then just panics. He just completely panics, like he's gonna give the puck away when he's got, I believe, Ryan Getzloff like two feet away from him, or he could just dump it around the boards. He decides to like spin and backhand it right to a Flyers player, and that's what sets up the breakaway because now he's out of position, and now he's also given the puck away, 
and uh, nobody's there back to cover. He, he makes a good job to skate back there, but it's sort of a two-on-one, and he doesn't even put any pressure on Raffle. He looks at him, then he just skates backwards, turns around, and blocks the pass. Doesn't put his stick in, in Raffle's way to either force him to shoot or kind of make the shot a little bit difficult for him. He's like, oh, you, you just take that free shot. I'll, I'll block the pass. And All day. All day from the circle, from the mid-circle. That's, it's unacceptable play. Put some pressure on the guy and then block the pass. Like, at least kind of get in his face. Or, or like, you're quick enough. You had the step on him that you would have been able to get there and actually get a stick on it and maybe force him you know, force him to have to make a great pass. He's not Claude Drew. He's not uh, Jacob Voracek. He, you know, the, the chance of him making that pass through you is, is tough. And at least if he does, you made an effort to try and stop the goal. In this case, it's the lazy play for Fowler to just let him shoot it. i got to ask you, Eddie, do you feel like – if Corey Perry scores on that redirect right after Phil Veroni scored, there was a play there where the Ducks had to rush it up the ice, and Corey Perry redirects a puck in on Carter Hart from the top of the crease. It was a good save. Good positional save there by Carter Hart. If that somehow squeaks five hole or between the arm and body, do you think that changes the whole landscape, or do you think the Ducks still landslide into a, I don't know, a 4-1 deficit in the first period? I, I don't think it changes anything because – one usually you would you would expect a goalie to get phased and that's how things would change and and you know Carter had been playing really well up until that point and uh, or, I, or he did play well but if that had gone in I don't think he would have been rattled at all he would have just got right back on it and still played the way he did in the first yeah. period and the Ducks even on their goals tonight they didn't really show any momentum after they scored it was more so the the Flyers just sat back for that entire second period and really sat back until the Ducks got that second goal. And then, look, they kicked it back into gear, and they scored two more goals. So that's just what they were doing. And we saw it with the Sens. When the Ducks went down, I think, what, 3 nothing, right? The Sens just like, okay, we're good. We're going to sit back. We're going to let you just tie yourselves out. You're not really putting any pressure on us, and we're just going to coast to the finish line. And mm-hmm. that's what pretty much everybody who's gotten a lead, Montreal did it as well, where Montreal, anytime they get a lead, they just sit back. Every team has done it against the Ducks because there is no pressure when they're trailing. I would love to know, and I should have looked at this as we were getting set up for the show today. I would love to know how many goals the Ducks... Like, what's the goal differential for this losing streak? Or the last 22 games? 20 games? I, I wonder, I wonder what 20, we're at. But, uh, the, the last uh, last seven games is, is really bad. I believe I saw somebody uh, tweet it out. I can't remember who, but... I'll check now because it is it is honestly horrible. So they had three against New York, uh, five against St. Louis, so eight, 17 if you include Winnipeg, 23, uh, 31 goals against over the last seven games. Oh, my God. You're averaging more than four goals against per game, and they only scored 10 goals. So they're getting out, outscored 31 to 10, oh, so a negative 21 goal differential over the last seven games. Yeah, it's it's that bad. I, on average, you're getting outscored uh, by three goals in in all of the last seven games. Well, let's let's hop through the rest of this game because there's not a ton to talk about in the way of positivity, but there is some positivity that we can talk about when we talk about individual players and a player that we can get to here in a bit. But uh, I don't know, man. This fourth goal, Oscar Limbaum scores softest of the soft defense here by Anaheim. No coverage down low. The puck is passed low in the slot off Limbaugh skating in. The Flyers outnumbered the Ducks. I think it was like three Flyers in front of the net to one Duck defender. 
and it goes yep. off off of Lindblom skating into the net. It's four nothing. Like, how is no one tying anybody up? Like, this is all stuff you learn in Bantam. Bantam hockey. Even if you watch all four players, watch all four players. They're all puck watching. Perry's puck watching. Gatslas puck watching. Delzato's puck watching, and Jakob Silverberg is puck, puck watching as well. And that lets Lindbaum, who again, remember how we talked about it on the last show from from the last game, where uh, Brady Kachuk jumping in behind the play because they yeah. know the Ducks are going to be puck watching, so they come in late to the back post. He gets a one time goal off a of Mark Stone shot. Oscar Lindbaum does the exact same thing. Knows the Ducks are going to be puck watching. That's the book on the Ducks right now on their defense. Comes in late, gets in behind Gudis, and puts the puck in the back of the net. I mean, obviously it hits off his foot, but he's still in position that if, if it did come to his stick, that's an open net. And he, he's got that into the back of the net no matter what. It's just what's been happening lately. Everybody knows that the Ducks are not really going to be covering you. So if you come in late, you've got a good chance to sneak in behind all of them because they're all going to be watching the play. That's what they do every game, right? Every game, yeah. they just stand around and watch the damn puck. And, you know, the, the broadcast made a comment today. I believe it was um, uh, it was Hazy made the comment that uh, the forwards are just standing around. And he said it's like shooting fish in a barrel for the defenseman because they have no one to outlet to. Is this, if, if that's the case, is this not a problem with, with coaching? It is. It's a coaching issue. This is definitely yeah, a coaching it, issue. Yeah, it is, but it, it's also like that if you're on the ice, you still got to that's your responsibility to cover your man no matter what. Like if you got if you get caught, caught puck watching, that's not on the coach. That's on you. No, puck that's watching sure. But I'm talking yeah. about like clears. We saw a number of times in tonight's or today's game where there was clearing attempts. There's no one to pass to. No one's open, no one's moving. Everyone's standing around all the time. And it goes kind of with what you're saying with puck watching. I mean, it happens a lot. You could ask any goalie or any defenseman even in beer league or you know high school hockey, collegiate hockey. If you're a defenseman and all your players are standing high in the neutral zone, they have nobody. There's nobody yeah. to pass the puck that, to. That's on both at that case. That's on whoever, whatever their breakout system is. If it's three high, then that's that's a problem. you got to change that because the Ducks can't – you can't expect – I mean, it normally on, on a competitive Ducks team, having your three forwards high would make sense because you do have three mobile defensemen who should yep. be able to get the puck out of the zone on their own. But when you're struggling this year – having three high or an early breakout, it, it's not a good idea because you see a lot of turnovers up the middle that uh, the Ducks just can't find anybody. The defensemen, Fowler, Manson, Lindholm, Montour, they just can't find anybody up the ice. But it is on the players too because you are on the ice, and if you, I know your system is to go three high, but if you look back and say, hey, like these guys are giving the puck away because they've got no support back there. So you know, if I'm the center at least, then I'm going to go back and at least help them break out of the zone and get a cleaner uh, exit out of our own zone that's something that the players could do as well. So it's kind of on both, right? I, I would think so. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, man. Uh, Z Vice in the chat brought up the last 21 games goal differential. How Ooh, bad do you think it is? Uh, she can't see the chat, so how bad do you think it is? I would say, like, let's go 60 goals against, and I would probably say 18 goals scored. 19 goal. I'll go 19 goals scored. So you're going to 40, 41 goal differential? Yeah, that's what I would go with. You were close on the goal differential. It actually was, it's still higher than that. But the Ducks have let in 82 goals again <laughs> over their last 21 games. <laughs> and they've uh, they've scored 34. 
So Ugh. that is what 40, 48, minus 48 goal differential over the last 21 games. Mm. And, a, and a minus 21 over the last seven games. Oh my God. Thank you in the chat. Thank you very much for that. That's, that's what we have people live with us for to, to school us on facts because <laughs> God, that's just, Oh uh, my I, God. I, I want to know if that's like a historic mark, like the amount of goals you've let in over 21 games. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure there's been worse, but that that's a horrible number that that is almost over the last 21 games, averaging four goals against is just under that by four or what by two goals. <laughs> if they had 84 it'd be four goals against per game oh, so it's just under that. it's like 3.9 something goals against per game over yeah. the last 20 months uh, you can't win you can't you like you can't win games like that if you, the only way you win games if you're allowing almost four goals per game is if you're scoring almost four goals per game that's the only way you win you look at those numbers no wonder the ducks have lost almost every game except two over that stretch i i, I don't know man it's <laughs> it's it's so bad that John Gibson took his Superman cape off and called it a season. That's how that's I how mean, bad he took it is. It off. It's just like he can't do it all <laughs> he year. He took it off. He took it off. He's like, I'm I'm just I'm effing done with you guys. Go to hell. Figure it out. Figure out how to hockey. Call me when you guys are ready. Um, God. Now the positivity parts. I don't, I can't talk too negatively forever. It's it's been such a long stretch here. The last twenty some odd games. Got to get to some positivity. Johnson pulled. Kevin Boyle comes in. Kid looks great, by the way. Kevin Boyle had a solid two periods of hockey. I mean, he faced some grade-A opportunities, was able to play very well. Uh, Our boy Richie, I think Richie had a really strong game today, Eddie. I think he had a strong game the past couple of games, too. That line with Henrik and Richie... I said it last show. The only good line. I've honestly been impressed with, with how well they're playing. And I know the power play was what cleaned it up today. But Nick Ritchie, man, you got to hand it to the guy. He's he's actually made some improvements in his game. Um, and let's get to his goal. Or uh, not his goal, actually. Henrique gets the goal. His assist, yeah. Yeah, his assist. He's able to find Henrique standing in the crease as Carter Hart goes swimming um, on a player on the side of the net. And Henrique's able to have an easy tap in there. Holy hell, a power play goal. When does when does this happen? When do the Ducks have a power play goal? It just doesn't work. <laughs> and two in this game, didn't that? Did they not both were on the power play? So, uh, you know, what? I got to give credit to Nick Ritchie for sure. Obviously, the assist it was a good effort from uh, below the crease, and uh, his goal was a pure snipe. But honestly, both of these goals don't happen without Ryan Getzloff making yeah. those passes. Yeah, that's a great cross. That's the type of passes we're looking on the power play. I know it doesn't put Nick Ritchie in the best position to shoot. But the only reason they get that goal is because Getzlaff makes that pass down low to Nick Ritchie. And then even on Nick Ritchie's goal, I mean, that, that Ooh, pass was beautiful. That was that a, was... Uh, hi, I'm a Hall of Famer. My name's Ryan Getzloff. Yeah. Welcome to my ice. That's, um, you could see that on the replay of on the TV. He, he comes in and he's just scanning the whole time. And he's not just staring at Nick Ritchie. He's scanning the net, scanning back, scanning, scanning. Oh, here's the pass. And it was just, that was a beautiful, beautiful play there by Ryan Getzloff. On a rare zone entry that actually worked. How many teams... I don't know how much hockey other than the Ducks you watch. I try to catch other teams' games. But I'm trying to remember... Is it still a thing where you just pile up on the blue line and let one guy skate it in? What, like a 1-4? Yeah, where they have everyone wait on the blue line. And then, you know... Because Raquel rushed through, broke through. Um, and was able to feed that puck to Getzloff on the second goal. Is that something that most power plays are still run by that you know of? I don't think so. I have I haven't 
watched enough of other teams to see how their power play is set up, but it I wouldn't surprise me if not a lot of teams do it. Or the only teams who do it are the teams who are close to the bottom in power play, like the Ducks. It's not really a great setup to do the drop pass and have one guy skated up past four guys who are just waiting at the blue line. Like, it, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it works better when you've got guys kind of crossing each other up at, at, at uh, in the neutral zone and, and, you know, making the defense have to guess on and whether you're going to leave the puck to somebody, you're going to skate it in on your own. Like, you just watch a lot of teams who come in here, especially some of the best power plays. You just see how easily they entered the zone because of, of the fakes that they make at the neutral zone and just the, the players they give it to to enter the zone and the way they set up and break out. It's just a lot cleaner. The Ducks broadcast how they're going to do it. They know. They, they haven't changed. It's They're going to give it to one guy. They're usually going to drop the puck back, and he's going to skate it in. The only clean entries they ever get are when they change up from that and teams aren't expecting it. No, it's very true. But it actually worked in the third period. Actually worked for the first time that I've seen it working forever with Raquel breaking in on the power play. Slips that puck over to Getzloff, then Getzloff with that beautiful sauce pass to Richie. Richie goes bar down. Carter Hart, no chance on that. I think he would have beat anybody with that shot. That was a hell of a shot yeah. by Nick Richie. Hell of a shot. Yeah, Nick- no. you got to give him credit for making that shot. He has to at that point. You see that kind of pass from Getzloff. You've got to put that in the back of the net. But the way Carter Hart's been playing, especially, I know he's a shorter goalie, but he's generally pretty good up high. That was a, a perfect shot by Nick Ritchie to pick the, the top corner there. And he's been playing well. Like, I know he's been pointless in his last three games, but pretty much every duck has been pointless except for the two goals they scored over those right. last three games. And uh, prior to that, he had a goal and an assist in, in uh, four games ago. So he's doing better. He's actually having a pretty good season, considering us included and pretty much a lot of people just grill them in the offseason for delaying his contract and yep. for not a lot of people wanted to trade him because they didn't think he was good for good reason he was a 10th overall pick and you know people were disappointed when you look back on who was drafted in and around where he was but he's becoming an effective player for the ducks and, and i think out of everybody who's taken a step back this year he's taken a step forward what's he at right now let's look he's at 23 points in 40 games it's not bad. It's a 40-point pace on the season, which is a big improvement for Nick Ritchie when we thought he would be a 15-25 to 25 guy for the rest of his career. Yeah, definite improvement on his on his points and his, his playmaking abilities picked up. I like it, man. I, I like to see him coming up like that. Hopefully that uh, he's not injured here next season and can take another step forward and, and prove some people wrong and become... Become a 40, 40 to 60 point guy, right? Like high, high end 60, but be a 40 Whoa. to 50 point guy, right? Whoa, 40 to 60. You're stretching it there. You think uh, so? I think, he, yeah, he's a, if, if the way he's playing right now, and you look at, he'll probably be a, uh, he'll probably be a third line guy. I'm not sure how much power play time he'd get whenever this team is good, right? I, I don't know if he's technically a power play guy. Has this team ever I been good? So. I'm just wondering. Well, they, what are you talking about with Nick Ritchie? You're making the playoffs. They've been good. They've been good enough that you know Nick Ritchie. And, and it's it's just been so long, Ed. It's been so long. I just my memories. I have just very, very good short term memory, not long term. So I don't remember the last time his team was good. Twenty-eight, twenty-seven point seasons obviously aren't great, but they're not horrible. It's not horrible production. Not it's for not a like million a, and a half bucks, right? I mean, it's yeah, not, exactly. It's, it's so nothing. If he's on pace to now maybe uh in if he's taking a step forward to be a 30 or 40 point guy in a good season like a good season like this year where he's on pace for like 46 if he can you know consistently finish around 30 35 40 i'm fine with that That, that's that's great he's a reliable third line guy yeah and he's only making a mil and a half like roughly mil and a half and this is his first of his three-year deal so i think that's good 30 40 points not bad not a bad deal for nick ritchie 
Um, let's clean up the rest of this third period because obviously the Ducks couldn't do it. It's uh, Carter Hart standing on his head a couple of times there. Uh, the save on Montour and then follow-up save on Silverberg. I mean, that would have made it at uh, in the third period. That, if it was, that was prior to Richie's goal, so he comes up. That would have made it basically a 4-3 game if Richie scores on the power play again. Ducks just couldn't buy a goal with their chances, and then Nolan Patrick slips in behind the Ducks' defense on the power play, hammers home a broken pass, basically five-hole on Boyle. Nothing really Boyle could do on that play. It's 5-2, and then Travis Konecki, um, Ducks fail to clear. <laughs> Shocker. And a point shot gets through, and Konecki deflects the puck pass. Boyle after the shot goes off his chest. And that's all she wrote. That's a 6-2 final. Philly over Anaheim. Is that our seventh straight loss? Yeah. Is yeah. that the third it, time? It, like I said, it might as well be 21. Like, it really honestly <laughs> might as well be 21 because we know they didn't play well against Minnesota and New Jersey. Probably no. didn't deserve those wins. No. I, I don't know. I, I Like, people are like actual media people, like people who normally don't talk about the Ducks, especially people on the East Coast, are wondering if this is the worst streak that we've seen from a team in, in a long time, the worst stretch run of play in a very long time. I don't remember... And again, it's 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 a, obviously a lot easier to notice it when we cover the team every day. But I don't remember seeing a team playing this bad over 21 games, and especially over the last seven, where it's just been ridiculous. Like I'm sure the Oilers and, and the Sabers, when they were tanking for McDavid and Eichel, probably had stretches like this, but people didn't really care because they were supposed to be bad. Like I don't know if we've ever seen a stretch like this from a team who was supposed to be good. But over like 21 games, like that is a ridiculously long time. That's over a quarter of the season that they've just been Let's horrible see. now. How many goals? I, I, just, I just don't know. How many goals do they have total this year? I want to look at that right now. I'm going to bring that up in the standings. We got to talk about the standings here because you said the Ducks are last place now in the Western yeah, Conference. Officially last place in the Western Conference. I, the LA Kings got a point in uh, overtime. I don't know if they they beat the Boston Bruins. It doesn't matter either way. Because now they've moved in front of the Ducks. Uh, let's see. Did they? Did they win? No, LA lost. They're still the Ducks are still last. Yeah, like it, it, I think it, they're last on on row. Uh, yeah, they're in a three way tie for last with uh, Arizona and and LA at fifty one points. Officially fourth last in the entire league. So, uh, Jan, I think he's answering our question with goals for for the Ducks. He said they have one hundred twenty seven. Okay. 182 Jeez. goals against. That goes for third worst in the league. And that was a strength earlier on in the season. They were top half in goals against uh, per game, and that was because of John Gibson. Oh, maybe not third, fifth worst in the league, my dad. Chicago's let in a league worst 201 goals. <laughs> yeah, but they're turning it around. I think they are they might be on a winning streak right now. They They are actually playing some good hockey and yeah they've won their last six games after losing seven of their last eight now they've won six in a row the blackhawks had they're actually playing good mostly because patrick kane's playing out of his mind but debrinket's on a point streak as well and so is is jonathan tave so and the the kings are playing better hockey it's funny because we we talked about probably 21 games ago i was like there's no way the ducks like they're bad but there's no way they're going to finish below the Kings because the Kings are horrible. And if the Blackhawks are just a dumpster fire. And Corey Crawford, you never know if he's going to be healthy and he's probably out for the rest of the season. And now we're sitting at a point where we finally made it where the Ducks are actually the worst team in the Western Conference. They're last place. 
it's unbelievable. I didn't I did not think it would get to this point this year where we'd be looking at the standings and the Ducks would be dead last in the conference. They went from 101 points last season to basically not hitting 80 this year. Yeah. There's a We've solid chance they don't We've hit 80. Bad, some very bad and good turnarounds where you've seen teams who were really bad one season make the playoffs where Columbus was horrible, then they made the playoffs. And you've seen teams who were really good, like Colorado had that really good season, then they missed the playoffs, almost finished dead last. This still has to be, if the Ducks finish with like 70 points, like you've 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 lost 31 points in one season off of where you finished last year like again it, it has to be one of the worst turnarounds from one season to another and and how bad they've been this year and and where they finished last year uh, they're running out of answers in that locker room right oh they're done you look at the, the comments from from uh, eric stevens articles the the few that he's put out they have no idea why they're losing ricard raquel literally said he has no idea why they're losing <laughs> they're going out there and they're they're playing their game and they just don't know how things aren't going their way. And even the broadcast, like You're I, coaching. I think, Hello. Well the the broadcast is like they they're out there saying they just like they don't get it and like though the Ducks play better in this period, it's like, come on, like I know you have to try and be like a homer, right? You've gotta try and be positive. But it's like I hate seeing answers like, Oh, we don't know what's going on. Like I don't know how we're not playing bad. Like I I'm pretty sure uh, yeah, like I have a quote here from R- Ricard Raquel in Eric Stevens' article. He said uh, when he was asked about compete level and if they weren't actually competing, he said there's nobody in our locker room that's not trying. We're working really hard, but it, fe- it feels like that's the only thing we're doing. So he, he's basically <laughs> saying that, like, that we're working hard, but it's not going our way. Well, no. I, I don't think you guys are working hard when you look at some of the mis- the mistakes that they're making on a nightly basis. Can we go through – I'm going to go through really quick – how many games it's been since Ryan Kessler has registered a point? Oh, Michael said, all of a sudden the Ducks fans have something to look forward to on dra- NHL draft lottery night. I'm looking forward to draft lottery night now, so, especially if the Ducks are going to finish where they are. Ryan Kessler has not had a point since December 2nd and has not had a goal since November 6th. Yeah. Well, it was 18 games like 10 games ago so what is it what is it now that the, the games that ryan kessler has gone without getting a point december 2nd to now that's at least that's at least 20 games if not more like it, it has to be 20 to 25 games from from that's uh that's over that's two months that's two months he hasn't gotten a point in two months ryan kessler has and it sucks i feel for the guy but it's they're still using him like he's the Ryan Kessler of old. They're still hard matching him against the opponent's best lines. They're still putting him on the power play at times. Not as much recently, but they're still putting him out there more minutes than some guys who probably would be better suited to play. And uh, at this point, like like we've said, Adam Henrique or, or Derek Grant will probably be better options to hard match against opposing teams' top lines than Ryan Kessler is because he's just struggling. He can't he can't get it done. One goal in forty three games. Yeah, it's sad. It honestly is. It I, really I is because it's not it's not any fault of his own. Let's let's talk about Kevin Boyle because that was a very very positive thing that happened for the Ducks today. That really showed that we have a very capable NHL backup, in my opinion. It's one game, very, very small sample size. But he didn't look out of place. He really didn't, for being left hung out to dry a bunch of times, just like every other Ducks goaltender has been. 
it's a tough game to get thrown into. I, I really felt that it was going to go south for him because you're getting thrown into, at that point, again, it's 4 nothing after the first. The Ducks look like they weren't going to turn around, and now mm-hmm. you're going to the second, where historically the Ducks are just awful in the second period. Like, Honestly, nothing against the guy because I, I, I do believe he's a good goaltender. I just felt he was going to go in there and just get shelled, and I was it was going to be a really bad debut for him. Yeah, but, but he, he didn't. He didn't get shelled. He, yeah, he played great. No, that's, but that's what I felt like. I felt like you know just the way the Ducks were playing, he was going to go in there, and it was going to be a bad night for him. But he made 24 saves on 26 shots uh from the second period on and and played really good made some great saves and and the goals that ended up going in they're they're tough ones they're tough ones for him i mean he doesn't get the rebound on sandheim shot and connecting just kind of gets a piece out of air that's a tough one but made some really good saves so i'd have to say great debut for him i hope uh, he can continue to play. I hope he gets the start next game. I think he should deserve it if John Gibson isn't back. I, I feel like that would be a really good test to see if he's ready to do that. If he gets the start, knows he's starting, gets to prepare for it and see how he can do. Uh, because he could be an option for backup next year. Like I don't think Ryan Miller comes back. I really don't. I think he's probably done. And I don't know if the Ducks would even explore bringing him back at that age anyway. And the Ducks need somebody. They need a capable backup behind John Gibson. Not only do they need a capable backup, they need a cheap option because they really can't afford to bring in a 2 or a $3 million backup goalie and go and get the premier guy from the market. So if Kevin Boyle can prove that he's going to be good enough and can compete for that role, the Ducks might not even have to dip into free agency if they can use him. I think they should. I think they should use him. I think there should be a, a, just a high influx of young talent into this team next season there They're really coming. needs to be They're, well there's and the thing is the the good thing in the sense of possibly being able to use kevin boyle is the ducks have a lot of european goaltenders and i believe they can come over to the goals at any time you've got Ole erickson who's playing in sweden you've got lucas dostel who was playing in the czech league and i believe he got promoted to either the i think the finnish league and he's playing there now as well, and he got loaned over there. So you've got two really good young goaltenders, especially Lucas Dostal, who could potentially come up to the goals next year. I'm not sure if they would. They're pretty young still. But that's options that if you want to call up Kevin Boyle, you're not left stranded down there, and you can bring up either one or two very good young goaltenders to take his spot. Yeah. No, it's a good sign for Anaheim that they have goaltending depth, at least it's what it appears to be. I hate to jump up and be like, oh, we have a great goalie coming up to the system. I mean, Kevin Boyle is a good goalie from what we've seen in the AHL and prior, but the NHL is a different animal. The NHL can chew you up and spit you out. So, yeah. I mean, not everyone's like a Carter Hart. I mean, that's 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 a rarity to go on a roll like that. Especially we don't need one, though. We no. don't need... I, I, we don't need an elite young goaltender in the system. We just need a, in like a bunch of good young goaltenders who could potentially just continue to rotate in as backup goaltenders and and then you don't have to you can just have them on entry-level deals you don't have to go out and get a veteran backup guy and pay him money and and dip into that cap space because the ducks don't have a lot of cap space right now and do you want to go out and it like the guy we talked about on the last show jimmy howard and convince him to come in as a backup no, goalie, which i don't think you no. do but you, you know even if he was a backup you'd be paying him two or three million dollars it's probably the best option but he would be the best option if you were looking to compete. If not, give the younger guys a shot, see if they can take the role as a backup, and it, it, you know that's that's the way they should probably go. There's no point in in bringing in a veteran guy who probably wouldn't come here because they, their ducks aren't going to be good next year. So I got to ask you, man. It's it's um, looking at goaltenders because I'm very much of the mind where you don't need an elite level goaltender to win a Stanley Cup. Who, do you have no, off the top of your head who was the last like elite? top 10 goalie in the league to win a cup 
I, it depends if you consider Corey Crawford and Jonathan Quick elite top ten goaltenders. You right? know, you know, I don't. I don't consider. Yeah, so let's say top it, five I, I would, goalie. Top five. Top five. Well, I would argue that Quick, when he won the cup, and when he was winning cups in in LA, was close to being a top five goaltender at that. He had time. one really good season where he carried him. Yeah, I, I, but I, I, I would argue he was close to a top five. He was definitely top ten. You know, top ten is a, is a pretty big stretch. I, I would have found it at that time difficult, even without the cups, to name a goaltender ten goaltenders better than Jonathan Quick. Uh, but year. as for a elite goaltender to win a cup, I mean Mark Andre Fleury back in his day with Pittsburgh, maybe when they were winning uh, or getting. But he's far. never really had elite numbers. Yeah, I, it, it's tough, and like you go back and and even maybe when when Detroit was winning, or you maybe have to go all the way back to Marty Brodeur with the Devils. Like, I mean, poor Henrik Lundqvist, right? He's probably the one that should win a cup that hasn't won a cup. Yeah, and he's probably not going to get it, which sucks for him, unless he goes somewhere and uh, wins one as a backup. I mean, he's still an NHL caliber starter, but yeah, he would probably have to call it a day in New York and go somewhere. But and what I was just doing is proving your point. You don't have to have, you know, an elite level goalie to, to win a cup. You have to have a guy that gets on a hot streak in the playoffs because the Stanley Cup playoff is a tournament. It's essentially a tournament. It's, in my opinion, it's harder to win the President's Trophy than it is to win the Stanley Cup. Or it's just as hard. Maybe I won't say it's harder. It's probably just as hard. You have to play 82 games at such a high level that you're better than most teams night in and night out. That's a hard thing to do. And then you can get beat by a guy who goes on a hot streak, a goalie who goes on a hot streak in a seven-game series, and you get wiped out. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing about having an elite goaltender is they're more likely to go on that hot streak for you. Obviously, they're more likely to play better consistently. So to that's take over you games. Don't need one. Yeah, you you don't definitely need don't one. need one. You know, Matt Murray, I don't think he's an elite goaltender. He got hot. And mm-hmm. for two seasons, he played he excellent did. in the playoffs. And he took the pens to back-to-back Stanley Cup. So that, and I, I don't consider him anywhere close to a top 10 goaltender in this league. But uh, some of the some of the things we have in the chat of the last elite goalie to win the Cup. Uh, Ricky said uh, Fleury. Blackcock said Osgood. Uh, Daniel said Tim Thomas. <laughs> hey, Timmy Thomas was a beast in his day, man. He, he was a beast. An elite, he wasn't an elite goalie, though. He was good, but he wasn't an elite goalie. Did he win? Mm. He won a Vesna. Oh, he? he won a Vesna. You don't think Tim Thomas is elite? No, I don't think Tim Thomas is elite. Why? Because he's because he's because he's fucking Amer- Sorry, the French. Because he's American. I don't care. I, I I just think he wasn't elite. He was on a very good team. I mean, I mean, honestly, you think Tim Thomas was a better goaltender than Jonathan Quick? Mm, yes, of course I do. Jeez, well. 920 save percentage in his career, 100, 214 wins in 426 games. I mean, dude, he wasn't he wasn't a young, spry guy coming into the league. I know, I know. He was I almost just, I, 30 I, when he made his debut, almost. I just don't know. I don't know if he was considered the top five goalie at that time either. I'd have to go back and look at the other guys in the league at that time, but I, I just I, I don't think of Tim Thomas and then. Coincide that with an elite goaltender. His career playoff save percentage is nine thirty three. But look, at, I mean, that Boston team for years was one of the best teams in this league. They were considered close to being a dynasty team if they had to won some of the cups, like won some more cups. Oh, they so what? If you're going to throw Marty Berdour in that same conversation, Marty Berdour had Whoa. Scott Niedermeyer and Scott Stevens. Whoa. You, you you can't argue that Marty Berdour is an elite goaltender, and then and with Tim Thomas. I mean, Tim Thomas did win a cup with a 940 save percentage. Just saying. 
Yeah, he got hot and played well. Again, you're like he doesn't mean he's elite. He got hot. He played well. I, I don't think he was elite. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't subscribe to that. Oh uh, please, please get out of here. He was. He was an elite goalie. In my opinion, he was. He was really good. He was really, really good. I, I want to touch on some of these other quotes we had from uh, Eric Stevens. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get off the Tim Thomas just... train because I know he's American. You don't like him. Let's do it. Yeah, like there was a quote from Getzlaff that. I took as potentially kind of being a slight at the coach a bit, uh, and I'll read it off here. But uh, so apparently, Getzlaff and the Ducks had another what Eric Stevens is quoted as an air it out group session. So just like a players only meeting, so that some players who normally don't speak up had an open forum to kind of participate and say what was on their mind. And uh, he had this quote to say about it. He said, when you're in a locker room, if you always have one or two guys talking, the message gets old. It's the same as a coach. If the coach is delivering the same message all the time, eventually guys tune it out. You have to get a feel for what everybody needs and everybody wants and not be afraid to ask the questions that the guy next to you is probably thinking too. Now, I mean, that could just be him comparing it to, you know, the same type of thing. If, if the coach is saying the same thing, then he, you're not going to listen to him. Same thing as players. So I get it. You know, maybe he's not talking about Randy Carlisle, but it's an interesting quote to have in there when you're talking about the players possibly tuning out Randy Carlisle. And if he's just continually saying the same thing to them, which I could see Randy Carlisle doing, maybe that is some insight uh, slightly into if the Ducks have tuned him out or not. I would say they have. I think we touched on this a tiny bit last show. I think they have. I think they tuned him out 100%. What are they? What is he telling anybody in there that they haven't already heard a dozen, or oh my God, dozen, I should say a hundred times, over a hundred times, some of those guys, that yeah. is going to change the play here. They're garbage. This team is garbage this year, and I think a lot of it has to do with the systems and management of cap space. Bob Murray, great when it comes to managing his, his, um, his drafting. Right, his scouts, all that stuff comes out really good. They've drafted well. They drafted well outside the first round, which has been which has been great for them. Andre Kasha, what seventh round pick? Yeah, they've been able to find gems along the way that aren't these top upper echelon talents that fit in great. Um, the failure on Bob Murray's part is to be best friends with I don't know the worst coach in the league, um, and then doesn't want to go and tell his parents, the Sam Wellies, that he has to fire him. Because he had yeah. to beg to hire him. Um, and that, that's where the problem starts. You need to cut the head off the snake there. And that's Randy Carlisle. And then, uh, Bob, you need to bring in somebody new. You did the right thing with bringing in Bruce. Why does Bruce get less of a leash than Randy Carlisle, Eddie? I, I don't know. Because the situation that they're in, the fact that uh, Bob Murray brought him back for a second time. The fact that he's on an expiring deal and, and they want to bring him into the fold as some kind of different role with the Ducks. Why? It looks weird that... Why? I don't know, but but it makes sense not to bring him into that role, but why you wouldn't fire him if then you want to hire him in a different role. It's like, oh, we're going to fire him as coach and then we're going to bring him into this other role. Like, that uh... that doesn't make sense. Right? That, you, look, you look more at, like an idiot doing that than just riding it out and, and dealing with all the hate that comes with riding out this season. Because at least you can say that we did that so we could get a high pick and we, there was no point in bringing up Dallas Aikens because the goals were doing good. Like, he has all the excuses in the world to work with here. Saying He could come out and say there weren't a good, good enough candidates right now available, which there probably aren't. There's better candidates available in the offseason. And you, he doesn't want to bring up Dallas Aikens and take him away from the goals and have to, to ruin the chemistry down there as well when they're having a good season because bringing in even Aikens or any coach up right now 
isn't going to change anything with the Ducks. So I get it. You know, I'm all for not firing him at this point because it would mess up the goals, and then you would have to go with an interim guy, which would be kind of pointless anyway, and then you look like an idiot bringing him into some kind of management position after the fact. So I completely get why they aren't firing. It just looks – it makes Bob Murray look like an idiot when he's trying not to look like an idiot. He needs to suck it up and fire him. He what needs does that to. do at this point? Because who are you going to bring in? You can't you, bring, you, bring in a you, guy from the outside. No, you just you can't promote an assistant. Davis. Promote an assistant yeah, to be in a room. That's the only route I would go. I would. That's the only route I would do. I'd fire Randy Carlisle and I'd promote an assistant. We all know that that's basically not going to do anything. The assistants aren't much better. All it does for him is, or for us, I guess, is it, it appeases the fans to fire Randy Carlisle does nothing else other than that so right basically you just want him fired so that he's out of there and he's fired but then for bob murray he's not going to be able to put him into a position after that within the ducks organization without looking like an idiot be like yeah okay but look but, but you but you have to give the, the fan base something do like you? you're yeah you have to do something you have to fire him and, or you need to just rearrange this roster so it's unrecognizable for the for, for the average fan you have to get yeah. rid of players. You have they, to move they have people. To, they, they should be doing something in the sense of penning a letter to fans or season ticket holders saying, we're going in this direction. This is what's happening. We're going to be bad this year. Whatever. Don't – I mean, Randy, firing Randy Carlisle is not really sending a message to the fans. It's just giving them what they want. What oh, I would it's sending see, a message. Yeah, well, the, what I would rather see is is a, a note come out or some kind of letter penned to the fans and season ticket holders saying, hey, we're bad this year, we know it, instead of the comments saying, oh, I know we're not bad, but we want to re-sign Silverberg and blah, 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 that kind of, that kind of count, contradict what he's saying, and at least say this is the direction we're going. And the LA Kings did it. Uh, Luke Robitaille penned a message to season ticket holders and fans and said, hey, we're not going to be good this year. We want to get back to what we had in the past, winning Stanley Cups, and we're going to have to be bad this year in, in a couple of years to rebuild and, and do that. I would rather see that because, honestly, right now, firing Randy Carlisle doesn't really do anything at all. Let me it ask really you something. Doesn't. Do you want to go to the playoffs? This year? No. Yes. You don't want to? No, no because there's no point. You're not going to – you can't. You can't do right. yourself – I don't right want to now, either. In the middle of February, you can't dig yourself out of bottom in the Western Conference and make the playoffs. Even no you, fans you at this point games. want to go to the playoffs because nobody wants to buy playoff tickets to watch the team get swept. But you need to fire the coach. You do it on the basis of he's not doing his job. He's not doing his job. He's the leader yeah, I, of this team. He's not doing anything effective. If you're ineffective know, at your job, you get fired. They should, you get but fired. It's, it's, it's literally pointless at this point. It's too late. They should Who have fired. Who cares him about way optics back. at this point? If you're the Ducks, your your entire franchise is on fire, and you're just going to stand there and. Well, we want to resign yeah. Silverberg. That's um, what they're going to do. And the reason I, I the mm. reason I say it's fine is because we know they're not going to do anything else. Because you know Bob Murray's not going to do anything else. It's he should have been fired way 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 back back even at the end of last season when they lost to san jose in the first round you should have been fired after that fourth game should have been fired then should Mm -hmm. have been fired after the 12 game losing streak should have been fired back when they were playing horrible 10 games ago and now you get to the point where it's almost at the trade deadline and what's the point now of firing him i get it like he's not doing his job he should be fired we all agree he should be fired nobody's saying he should stick around at this point though it's just 
you no matter not firing him firing you're doing it for optics no matter what you do you fire him you're doing it to appease the fans and make yourself look good but then you end up looking like an idiot because you're going to bring him into uh, (laughs) a higher position or you don't fire him and the fans hate you because he should get fired but it it makes no difference to the success of this team anyway either way you don't fire me fire him you're doing it for optics it all depends on what the management wants those optics to be and they obviously don't want that to be them firing randy carlisle and then hiring him in the management position after Bob Murray is legitimately, legitimately of the mind that it's not Randy Carlisle's fault. It's not his fault. There was injuries last year, injuries the year before, injuries this year. The key know. players, and we just you know our players. I expect more from our younger leadership group, and I don't we don't have any compete. Stupid. I mean, okay, he was that dumb. Think... He he brought it back to the team when he provided nothing for Toronto. Yeah. Nothing. That, that's that's stupid. But I'm, I don't think he actually believes Randy Carlo is doing nothing wrong. He just can't say anything else because if he says anything else, he has to admit that he's wrong. And I we already know it. he's not going to admit he's wrong. He's not going to come out and say Randy Carlo is doing a bad job and then also defend the guy and say I'm not going to fire him. Man up. If he doesn't want to fire him and he doesn't want to admit he made a mistake and he doesn't want to look like an idiot, he's not going to come out and say Randy Carlo is doing a bad job. He's going to defend the coach. He looks so, like an idiot anyway. So just does, fire him. It's, I, it, again, it's it like you said. It comes down to optics and what, what you what you want to see, or what the the GM, what's the best outcome for them. The best outcome for them is to not what in in their eyes is to not fire him and then all then put him in a management position after and go with a new coach. Eddie, what they feel like is everybody's going to forget about it after this season because everybody knows that they're going to bring in a new coach instead of firing him and then rehiring him in a different position. I get position. it. I get it. Is it time to fire Bob Murray? No. No, Gordon, Gordon Bombay in our chat asked that question right now. Long long term, after the Seattle expansion draft, sure. I don't believe at this point. I don't think he's going to be there after that. They, they gave no, him a two-year deal and they had to have exactly, a conversation about that's it. That's what yeah. I mean. His contract expires after that year, after the Seattle expansion draft. That's when he should be gone. At this point, bringing in a new guy who has to then become familiar with what you're doing, go in a different direction before the expansion draft. I'd rather just have a guy who knows what this roster is. And I know he hasn't done a great job at times but at least can get this team to that point where all those big contracts come off the books and you can bring in a new guy with a new direction who has literally an open playing field to work with. Because if you bring in a new guy right now, he's literally got to work with and clean up the mess that Bob Murray left behind. And I don't know if somebody else can do that. Okay, look, it, so, long- so you have to fire Bob Murray this summer if he doesn't make changes. That's my opinion. Well, what, what kind of, like, what, what's he going to do? Okay, like he's, okay. He's handcuffed, if, okay, he's handcuffed uh, uh, himself. Okay, true, but if he's if this team <laughs> somehow exercises the option on Randy Effing Carlisle for his last year of his deal next year, hold on, hold on. If they do fire fire Randy and fire Bob into the sun, goodbye. Don't want to see you around in Anaheim ever again. You guys are morons. You you can't handle a team. It, it makes no sense to keep Randy Carlisle. Fire also Bob Murray if he doesn't change the face of how this franchise looks. Teams take bad trades all the time. This league is full of bad trades. Unfortunately, the joker of the league got fired in Peter Shirelli with Edmonton, so there's one less moron to take a bad trade. Bob Murray is smart, and I think that he should be able to finagle away to get rid of some players on this team, Eddie, to, to shuffle around the roster 
I get you can't get rid of uh, pairs of gets. That's fine. There's a there's buy out of Kessler players. and trade away as many assets as you can for picks. Retool yeah, but, like, this let's, team let's faster. Go it. Let's let's go through it because you're you're not gonna you're not gonna trade Raquel. That's a stupid move. Don't no, trade Ricard Raquel. No, we you can't trade Getzlaff. Like, I know you can't but... you can't trade Perry. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is calling on Ryan Kessler and Patrick Eves. So yeah, you can go buy them out, but we have. I believe that he probably won't because he's not going to do that to a friend. Look what he's doing with Randy Carlyle. He's not going to. And I know it's stupid, but he's probably not going to do it. And and I don't know. We even talked to Josh Cooper where he said, I don't know if the Samuelis are going to want to foot the bill for that, for buying out Ryan Kessler. No, they already him. paid Corey Perry handsomely with bonus money. And, and look what he's done on the last half of his contract. It's Yeah, and, and you get limited options after that. You're not trading Lindholm. You shouldn't trade Montour. You're not going to trade John Gibson. You've got smaller assets in there after, like Nick Ritchie. What's the point? You're not going to, like, that's not that's not changing the face of this franchise. You get limited and whittled down to literally, I think, four players that you could really move that would change the look of this team. And that's Silverberg, and you'd have to trade him at the deadline. Otherwise, he's staying here for a while because you don't re-sign him and then trade him. That's pointless. Uh, Adam Henrique, you could trade him and move on from him and get some assets if you're looking to move in a different direction. And then Cam Fowler and Josh Manson. Those are literally the only four guys you can move. You can't trade the core of this team because they either have no movement clauses or contracts that are just ridiculous that no team would even consider taking them. That's fine. Barry Corey Perry on the fourth line. Get rid of Patrick Eves and Ryan Kessler. Get rid of Cam Fowler and Josh Manson. Um, get rid of Adam Henrique. Get rid of Jacob Silverberg. Don't resign Brian Gibbons. Um, is there anybody else missing anybody? Don't resign Ryan Miller. There's there's ways to make changes to this team that Bob Mil- uh, that Bob Miller <laughs> Bob Murray just he doesn't will. have the balls to do. No, be, those are minor changes. The, Brian Gibbons probably isn't coming back. Uh, Delzato's not coming back. You're not going to bring. You might bring back Ryan Miller. I don't really, honestly, it doesn't matter to me if he comes back on a one year deal or not. It really doesn't. If he like if he can play, still fine. Like whatever. You have a backup that. At, at a cheap price. So, like, I don't really care about that. That's not going to change too much. John Gibson's going to probably play 60 games anyway. So it's not really a big difference there. And then you look at the rest of the guys. Like, it's not going to change much. There's going to be spots for the kids next year. The guys in expiring contracts are pretty much all going to be out of here. And then it just comes down to the big contracts that you gave out that you shouldn't have given out. And Adam Henrique, and if you sign Jakob Silverberg, then those are two guys that probably shouldn't be here next year if you're looking to transition into a, a different area. Everybody else up front either has to be here because you can't move them because of their contracts or because of no movement clause or just because you shouldn't. Or uh, on defense, you've got two guys you could potentially move, but do you want to sell low on them? Because you're going to be selling low on Josh Manson, and do you want to move on from Cam Fowler right now? That's the question. Yes. Yes to all those questions. Let's get to, Speaking of questions, let's get to our fan questions. We're at about an hour. Somehow we drugged this Bob Murray, Randy Carlisle assessment out like 15 minutes. So now it's time to... Uh, Hop into chat or hop into social media and see what we got. Uh, Daniel Lowry on Instagram said, is Carter Hart the next John Gibson? I mean, John Gibson's better because he's American, but, you know, I see the, I see why you would ask that question. Carter Hart, to me, could be the next Carey Price. I think they play oh, very similar. out of here! Similar. Get they play very similar here. games, very calm at a young age. And uh, What a I mean, sample been... size. What a sample size. Uh, yeah, I, I said could be. He asked if he could be the next John Gibson, so I'm, I'm giving you an idea of who, what, what kind of goaltender he reminds me of, and 
and what he could do. He could be a very, he should be, and probably will be a very good goaltender in this league. At the beginning of the year, I said he'll come in this year. I thought he was going to start the year. Carey Price isn't even elite anymore, so that's fine. He could be Carey Price. He would come. Well, he has been this year. If you look at his numbers lately, Carey Price has been very good eh. for Montreal. He's yeah. getting late Vesna consideration if he continues oh, to play. Oh, stop. Whatever. He's not I'm serious. There's actually been legitimate people who have said Carey Price is getting late Vesna consideration. The way he's been playing for Montreal lately, he's been one of the best goalies in the league over the last month. That's a nice stretch of games. We'll see. But Carter Hart has the potential to be in a league goaltender's <laughs> league. So to answer your question. Um, That's the next one. Uh, Chris, we already answered this, but we can I love you, Eddie. <laughs> Do you see Kevin Boyle as the team's backup goalie for the rest of the season? Yes, I think so. No, uh, pa- yeah, not I, the rest of the season. No, 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 no. Sorry, take that no, back. No, for next season. He just said for next season. For next season, yes. I do see it for next season. Yep. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, why not? Because he's going to be the cheapest option you can pretty much go out and get. Unless, uh, like, uh, and I think Ryan Miller might consider coming back because he, his family is here, right? And, you know, I feel bad for the guy. And he's he not going out on his man. own terms, right? I mean, he got injured on a freak play. That sucked. Yeah, and, and, but he came here to win, which sucks for Ugh, him. Wrong that's team, just, man. That's just not going to happen. Should have went to San uh, Jose. They would have had a much better chance at, uh, at winning games instead of Martin Jones. Yeah, it's just it's not good. Uh, Victor says, he has Randy not been fired yet because uh, oh, because they're – what he said? Oh, because they're not being a good potential candidate available. No, because they're best friends. That's the only reason. Yeah. Well, I – I would agree that there isn't a good candidate available. I don't know if that's why he hasn't fired him yet, but honestly, there aren't many good options out here. And Joel Quenville, I don't think, is a guy you're going to bring in and either one, to pay money, and two, I don't think he's interested in this dumpster fire anyway. I don't think he's the right coach for the direction this team's going no. in. When you look at the best options that I think available, all three of them are available in the offseason. Sheldon Keefe, because he's still coaching the Marlies right now. Ricard Gromberg, because his contract expires with uh, Team Sweden and Dallas Aikens because you can actually bring him up without completely tanking um, San Diego Bulls season. Excuse me, sir. You forgot about Gordon Bombay and Ron Wilson. Just saying. Yeah. Well, you can uh, if you want them. They're available <laughs> now, so you, they can uh, they can come up now. So, uh, Ricky asked thoughts on his lineup predictions for next season. Oh, I didn't uh, see him. What do you say? No, I, I got him up here. He said first line Raquel Gutslaff Perry. Oof. Second line Comtois Henry Kasha. Like Third it. line, Jones, Terry, Sprong. Fourth line is Richie, Rowney, and Isaac Lindstrom. So we'll, we'll go with the forwards first. I really like that that uh, that second line there. It's not bad because you're you're that's you're uh, there. You're assuming you traded um, Jakob Silverberg, and so you got gone. finishers on that line on both wings. Yeah. yeah, it, it, it will have to see it because it will be interesting to see if Comtois over an actual sample size of games is going to be able to keep up the pace he was at, especially getting second-line minutes. We'll have to see, and that would be a great way to start the year. I don't know if it would finish like that. Uh, Jones, Terry Sprong, I like. I don't know if Terry is a center in this league. I don't think he is. So that's something you might have to address. And Limited sample would... size. Limited sample size. Yeah. I, honestly, I'd rather see Isaac Lindstrom at center. Yeah, because I me think too. He projects as a long-term center. And I don't think it would be best for him to just come up and play fourth line with Rowney and Richie if, if you're bringing up Lindstrom. I feel like one of those four guys in, in Comtois, Jones, Terry, and Lindstrom is, is in San Diego uh, if that's the, the projected roster you're going with. Um, on defense, he had Lintol Montour, Larson, Manson, Magna, Slash Maher, and Molinsky. So I assume he was trading Cam Fowler there as well. Okay, do the uh, the defense one more time. You cut out on my, my headphone. 
Sorry, Lindholm Montour, Larson Manson, and then Mahura Walensky. So no Fowler. Fowler's been traded, so along with Silverberg. Mm, I could I could handle a Larson Manson pairing. I I would still rather see what Montour and Larson would do together and you put uh, a new coach in charge and bring back my favorite pairing of uh, Manson and Lindholm and see how that works. I would much rather see that first and then I would, I'd be all ears to see what the other pairings are. But I don't know. If, this, if the system doesn't change and it's the same next season, I don't think it matters who you put on D. But... If you're thinking coaching yeah. change, I think it could be. That could work. That could work. We've seen flashes of good play from Montour and Lindholm. They haven't been egregiously bad, but they haven't been great. They've had more subpar games than I than we would expect being their two good defenders. Um, and that last pairing is, I don't know. It's what you're going to get next year. Yeah. It's what's going to happen. You're going to have to have it. Yeah. Yeah. It's what it's going to be. Um, Let Cox in our YouTube chat said, my question is why are you turning on Bob Murray just for two seasons? People loved him during the five-time division championships, but he calls back Randy Carlisle and makes questionable trades. Now you want him gone. I don't think like, – I, I personally don't want him gone. I, I want him here until after the Seattle expansion draft, and then I want the Ducks to take a new direction because a guy can't be here forever. And as, as good as he's been, as much as I like what he's done with his team, obviously he's made some mistakes. There's been some, some bad contracts he signed. Ryan Kessler is a tough one because of the injury. It looks really bad now. It wasn't great when it was signed, but now it looks bad. The BX uh, no-move clause plus the two-year extension was bad. Stoner's contract was bad. Adam Henrique's contract isn't that great. So there are some bad ones mixed in there. But he's made some good, some good moves, and he's had success with his team. I just think when you're looking to move in a different direction with younger players and new coach, maybe it's time after the Seattle expansion draft when, when all the big names that he signed come off the book and, and gets laughed from Perry and Kessler that you can maybe move in a different direction with a different general manager. That's what I'm hoping to see, and that's nothing against Bob Murray. I, I haven't turned on him. I just we're kind of calling him out for some of the mistakes he's made, and I, that that's pretty much it. I mean, look, the, the, he's made turn on him is tough because I haven't been uh, against Bob Murray. I, I'm pretty much just saying like fire him if he does A, B, or C. Right? If he if he keeps somehow Randy Carlisle in a coaching position, it doesn't change the face of the team. Because I mean, just to address that comment, I mean, the past two seasons hasn't he said? If, 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 if people coming onto this team, players can't play fast, we're going to get rid of them and bring people in who can. Yeah. Where, where's, where's the success here? Uh, Randy Carlisle is not an NHL coach. I would argue he's not a coach in the AHL. Um, he needs to be done coaching, period. He's not a good coach. So that, that was the first blunder in a Nobody's long line. Him after this. A long line of blunders have happened here. Okay. Uh, the Clayton Stoner deal, not good. Uh, the Kevin Bieksa deal. Not good. Losing Shea Theodore in order to get rid of Clayton Stoner. Not good. good. The re-signing of Ryan Kessler. That insane contract for a guy who was good, but at the end of his prime. And now you're paying him almost $7 million. Not a good signing. It was too long and too much. But if it was two years shorter and $5 million... That's okay, but that's what he should have got. But that's fine, know, but it, it wasn't. It's it really, really tough. If he wasn't hurt right now, 
still putting up 40 to 50 points and being nope. one of the best shutdown centers in the still league. an overpayment but not a problem it is but you wouldn't be saying it's as bad as it is right now maybe i did yeah. i did trash it when it happened and cam Everybody fowler's did. contract did. was garbage too why are you paying that kid that much money it's it's a he's little not an elite paper. level defenseman he should be making about five point five and, and three quarters or six million not six. Six is too much. Based off what he had up until this point and being one of the best 30 zone point defensemen. But he's one of the best zone exits in this league, one of the best skaters in this league. Up until this season, he was close to where he's definitely worth over five and a half. I think five and a half to six is what he should have gotten. He got over that, which was a little bit of an overpayment to keep a guy. And eight years, I think, was a little eight bit too long. Eight years is too far. Way but too far. But it isn't. It isn't the worst contract in the world. And there will be teams who will touch that and they will take that. If Adam Henrique? I don't like. I think it's too long and too much for a, a borderline second line center. But what are you going to do? It, 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 they, they did it. There's not much you can do. I hope they move on from it because by the time the Ducks are going to be competitive, he's not going to be as effective as he is now. Flip side, thanks. He did well. Ricard Raquel contract. Good yes. move. Hampus Lindholm contract. Good move. Andre Kasha contract. Good move. Brandon Montour. Brandon Montour contract. Good move. John Gibson contract. Good move. And then I would have to say, who's the player I'm forgetting here? Oh, my God. Why can't I think? Nick, Nick Riches isn't that bad. No, it's fine because he's actually played better this year. Um, you got to stop paying old guys too much money. Okay? That's mm-hmm. that's a thing you don't do anymore in today's NHL. And that's that's why I'm on, on uh, why Bob Murray's kind of on my crap list. Along, the Randy Carlisle thing, though. And I never wanted Bruce Boudreau to be fired. I didn't. I was yeah. so upset about it, that. Letcott brings up a good point. Is They pay them that money because they'll walk if they don't get it. And other teams will pay them that money. Other teams would have paid Cam Fowler $6.5 million. Other teams probably would have paid Adam Henrique five point what five point seven five point eight whatever he's making. There would have been teams who would have paid him that much. Okay, when but Ryan you're Kessler also, you're also assuming that players don't like it here. The anonymity here is great. Players don't get noticed almost anywhere. No, no, for sure. But you get perfect like if, weather. Players like coming to Anaheim. Guys- wanted to go to free agency they would have got paid that much and that's what comes up in the discussions with that team's agent is will they'll say well if you're not going to pay us what we would get in free agency there's a chance we'll go and we'll go to free agency like there's a lot of things that go into that and there are they are bad contracts but he does make a good point and other teams would have paid them that much money so other some other team would have been paying ryan kessler six and eight or six point eight million dollars which where in edmonton right there would have, trust me, there would have been teams at the time, the way Ryan Kessler was playing for this team, they were. there would have been teams who would have given him the same contract, guaranteed. If so you don't believe that, you're saying that Bob Murray is the worst GM in this league. Because he's not, no, he's not the worst so GM. Other league. teams clearly would have given him that then because he's not the only guy who would have given that contract out. There's bad contracts every year, and that would okay, have been Okay, okay, but I didn't ever say he was the worst GM in the league. I'm saying I don't no. like a lot of his deals the last two three yeah years. but are you saying that some other team wouldn't have given ryan kessler the same money in the same term i mean there's always a peter Chiarelli somewhere sure exactly sure Somebody okay else fine sure someone else would have yeah. i feel like half the teams in the league would have given ryan kessler close to what he got it to get him at that point if they really needed a center who could shut down at, at an elite level which was what he was doing when he was healthy there would have been teams who would have paid him that much money all right well, we, got, we got any more we got two questions. Apparently, we missed uh, one of Ricky's question. He said, "Do we see Kevin Boyle starting on Wednesday?" Ooh. Uh, if Gibby's not healthy, I think so. Yeah, I think I so. Should at least he should. He should. Um, and then Keith said, "Would this season be less disappointing if the team was full of just random, no-named players than the talent that has been a regular season juggernaut?" 
hundred percent. Yeah, if they were the Sabres tanking or the Oilers tanking for Connor McDavid in, yep. in that type of season where they're just bad, I, I would be. Yeah, we would we would have expected it, but this team was supposed to be a playoff team. It was supposed to be a decent team that could you know probably not go far, but at least go past the first or second round and make some noise. And uh, they're now bottom of the Western Conference. So yeah, it, it's definitely way more disappointing to see that this year. But it, like I think everybody's embraced it pretty well. It's been comical. It's been it's still painful. It, it's been painful for the entire season. But at least the bright spot at the end of the tunnel is uh, in the shape of Jack Hughes, and hopefully that that's what turns out of this. We got one question in our chat. Bombay's been very lively in uh, our Spreaker chat. Um, he says, how many tradable players do you think we can get a first-round pick for? Silverberg, Fowler, let's exclude John Gibson because it'll make me throw up. So, <laughs> I think you could definitely get first-round picks for Fowler and Silverberg. But I think you should also get a prospect in return for those players as well. Especially yeah, I, Cam I think, Fowler. Well, for sure. So, so Silverberg should get a first-round pick, a late one, if, like we said, if Brian Boyle gets you a second. Silverberg should get you a first, and that should be a trade that should made should have been made yesterday to get you a first round pick and have two first round picks in this draft. Ricky literally just read my mind and brought up the guy that I would get with that late pick, and that's Cam York, and bring it in another good young defenseman. If you get Hughes, Kako, Cousins, whoever, a forward at the top of the draft, the Ducks need to bring in another young defenseman into this system because they don't have a lot coming up. They're all here now. You've you got Larson, you've got Mahura, you've got the, the top four. You, you've got everybody here. There's, there isn't any young guys coming up, really, for de- on defense for the Ducks. So if you get a late first, go out and get that uh, that guy, Cam York, or, or uh, I think it's Sunderstrom or whoever, late in that first round. And then Cam Fowler, you, you should be getting a first in that. That could be, depending on the team, a, a middle-of-the-pack first-round pick. It could be a late first-round pick. Depending on what that is, then go out and get a prospect with that and really kick off this rebuild in a good way. I can't follow it. Like, I still don't know. I know a lot of people want to trade him, but it all depends on, on when the Ducks are going to be competitive again because he could still be an effective part of this team when they go and compete again. You could turn this, this shit show around in two years. Exactly. So, and like, you don't have to trade Cam Fowler, but I think you have to trade Silverberg. And I would argue you would have to, you have to trade Adam Henrique now uh, and try and get a first round pick for him. And if you can get a couple of those this year to go along with hopefully a top five pick, you set yourself up in a good position to rebuild because getting that first round pick this year rather than next year accelerates that rebuild. You get a guy now that you can work with for a couple more seasons. He's likely to come out quicker than a guy obviously you draft next year. So hopefully they do that. I, I, at least hopefully they trade Silverberg and get a first round pick. That's the very least I hope they do at this deadline is at least make the obvious move to not go and re-sign Silverberg and to trade him and get a first round pick and start acquiring some assets. Uh, we'll have to see where that goes. Well, that is the show today, everybody. I got to give a few shout outs here because um, we everyone who's chiming in on chat, Ricky, Gordon Bombay, and I forget, so I'm, I'm terrible with names. People, other people who jumped in on the YouTube chat, on our social media. We love you guys for coming in and bringing content to the show. That really helps and makes it more fun to do these things, especially on this losing streak. So, all the fan interaction, everyone who uh, has participated, we love you guys for that. Um, also, if you guys haven't already, Please go to Twitch. It's an app. I know you got to create a username and all, but we're going to start streaming video games on Twitch, us playing games. You can go play with us, mess around. I know we're doing a special podcast on Twitch coming up on the trade deadline. Uh, time permitting, we'll have to see when that happens because Eddie's going to be home, but Jason and I work, so we'll have to figure out a good time for that. But uh, you'll always be able to catch us on YouTube as well. 
if you haven't already, go ahead and click subscribe and hit the bell. That does a wonderful thing for us, which lets us be more visible to, to people watching videos like ours. Or maybe you caught a, if someone catches a clip, a clip of ours, they'll see more of our videos. So just the more you can spread the word for us, the more it helps. Also, iTunes. And um, if you guys don't already know, we're doing a podcast for Pucks for Feather. We do a weekly duck show. They're Pucks for Feather blog for fan cited. Eddie, Jason, and I are doing a weekly, you know, duck centric podcast. So if you haven't gotten enough from us through all the post game shows, and you <laughs> want to get more in depth looks at how things have gone for the ducks over the week, we're going to be doing that every week. So go to pucksfeather.com and check yeah. us out there. Or if you guys miss, if you guys if you miss, to miss a couple post game shows, I know it's hard to come back and watch three back to back to back post game shows if you have to miss them. So that's a great way that if you end up missing the shows, obviously we want you guys to come out here and, and be in, in the live chat. But if you miss a post game show, it's every Monday there's going to be a weekly recap. So if you want to go in and check that out as well, then, then do that for sure. Yep. And to all you Patreon subscribers, we love you. Thanks for putting the money and time into that for us. We're recording a bonus show here this week. It's going to be very duck-centric uh, bonus show there. So we appreciate you guys on Patreon. If you haven't checked us out there, go to Puck Guys Forever Mighty uh, on Patreon and check us out. But that's it. We'll talk to you guys. When's our next show? Wednesday? Next post game Wednesday. 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 You get a little bit of a break. <laughs> a little bit <laughs> of a break. Here. Very true. And prepare for probably another loss. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll talk to you guys on Wednesday night. Have a great week.